0: Today in the Last Wire podcast, we're joined with Major Brian Kirk, USMC, is a Marine Corps officer and writer currently serving as Fleet Amphibious Communications Officer, US Fleet Force Command. Thank you for joining us, Major.
1: Hey, uh, good morning. Thank you very much for having me. Um, This is a a great opportunity. And and just up top, I'll say as an active-duty military officer, uh, I am obligated to say that the following views are my own. Uh, They don't represent the views of the Department of Defense, Department of the Navy, the Marine Corps, or any other government organization with which I'm affiliated. Uh, But I am absolutely thrilled uh, to be here on the last wire. Thank you.
0: In your article, Disruptive by Design, Ham Radio and C2 Denied and Degraded Environments, Published this year in Signal Magazine, you talk about the importance of planning and how crisis action planners are handicapped. Can you expand on that for us a little bit?
1: Uh, Certainly. So um, really this uh, relates to uh, AMARS, the Military Auxiliary Radio System. Uh, And what is that? Um, That is sponsored by the United States Department of Defense, uh, but it's separately managed and operated by the military services that use it, Uh, specifically today the U.S. Army and the U.S. Air Force. The Navy Marine Corps hadn't uh, their own auxiliary, but they, they closed that in uh, 2015. Uh, and this is a huge enabler, in particular in disaster situations. So uh, Mars has a long history of providing worldwide auxiliary emergency comms during times of need. Um, between the Army and the Air Force, they, I believe today, have about 3,000 members, uh, which are volunteer amateur radio operators that provide the backbone of the Mars program. So there's a lot of overlap, I, I would say, or uh, analogy, ana- analogous relationships with uh, Aries, which I'm sure you're familiar with and your listeners are in the US and Canada. Um, so where is uh, this opportunity? We can, we can talk about the history of Mars a little bit more if you'd like and some of the historical missions.
0: Yeah, no, for anyone that isn't aware of Mars, can you share that with
1: us? Certainly, yeah. So what is Mars? How did this you know, civilian auxiliary uh, come about? Um, so it was initially, I believe, it was called what the ARS, uh, the Auxiliary Amateur Radio System. That's right. Uh, it was created back in November of 1925 uh, by some uh, highly motivated members of the United States Army Signal Corps. Now, the Signal Corps within the Army uh, speaks to that corps, professionals that field dealing with communication specifically, uh, and the intent was to provide a pool of trained radio operators to augment the Signal Corps during mobilization, uh, whether that's war or some sort of extension requirement for the Signal Corps' radio network uh, to support civil authorities with natural disaster relief efforts. Um, so that's kind of how, how it initially came about. Now, during uh, the Second World War, it was deactivated because the, uh, the DoD wanted to maintain control of all of the spectrum. Uh, it was reactivated after uh, World War II, um, notably, uh, during the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Cold War, and early in the Gulf War, um, Mars was very heavily involved in what were known as Mars grams. So this was kind of like an a MWR, a Morale, Welfare, and Recreation type mission of letting messages getting back and forth between service members abroad and uh, their families and friends uh, back home. Um, but that was just an MWR piece. There was certainly still that uh, mission of providing contingency comms for emergencies that did occur throughout its history um and it also had a contingency role for certain uh national command missions. so for example in the cold war right uh, in a in a nuclear uh situation having that hf patching capability to say uh, an aviation uh command post in the sky could prove very very useful so that was another um uh, another mission that existed And today, uh, its primary mission still remains to provide contingency comms to the DoD. Um, So that can be for what we term DISCA or defense support to civil authorities, which is when military forces that normally can't operate under certain domestic authorities are able to do that for things like perhaps uh, a a gross situation of civil unrest, uh, more commonly uh, a natural disaster. Uh, And often Mars also uh, works hand in hand with FEMA and the Department of Homeland Security for those missions. In addition, uh, Mars is still very active today in providing HF radio phone patching for uh, many DOD agencies. Uh, A great example of this is the Air Force's Mars. Uh, Their Mars phone patch net uh, provides HF radio phone patch services to all branches of military aircraft worldwide so you can be a service member in the sky doing a mission uh, and be able to have a telephone conversation via that hf radio patch uh, which is a great redundant means of communication uh, which naturally will become a primary if you're operating in a uh, contested environment
0: Brian, is this really necessary? Does the largest military and the most highly funded military in the world truly need me and a community center with my Bofang relaying information back and forth? Is that important in 2021? Do we need this?
1: Uh, absolutely. Um, so uh, it's interesting the way you frame it. And that, that's the stereotype. When in my professional circles, initially, if you bring that up, some folks might think picture it just as that, picture it just as, uh, again, your, your grandpa's radio of something little more than CB. And then they compare that to the very complex and capable uh, internetworked um, architectures uh, that we have, you know, satellite communications, uh, the ubiquity of the internet and cyber. They compare the two and they say, hey, they're, they're incomparable. Why would you even worry about that? And part of that is a bias of, of money, right? It doesn't cost the military a dime to affiliate with Mars and to have this capability. So since it's all volunteer and the DOD isn't putting money toward it, there's little in the way of prioritization for getting a return on investment. Uh, But the bigger part is, as you alluded to, it's the DOD's increasing reliance on network technology and cultural hesitance to rely on single radio comms. Um, So while, uh, say, an infantryman on the ground or pilots in the air are certainly living and dying by single channel radio, once you hit that first command center above that tip of the spear, everyone wants to hook and jab over email and PowerPoint. Uh, And the amount of information that these networks can offer is very significant. It can enhance a commander's ability to command and control the force, but, and here's the rub, this presumes an uncontested electromagnetic spectrum, an uncontested or secure cyber domain, or a functioning communications infrastructure among those you're trying to communicate with, in particular, say in a disaster zone. So whether we're dealing on one end, say, with an adversary that's capable of jamming or destroying satellites, uh, hacking into our tactical networks, disrupting the domestic infrastructure upon which those networks rely, or on the other end, say, entering a disaster zone and needing to talk to local key leaders, but guess what? The cell towers are down, power's out everywhere. Uh, The spectrum available for SATCOM or your satellite phone you want to bust out becomes increasingly scarce due to the sudden spike in demand. Single-channel radio, notably uh, HF and the other services that Mars could offer, uh, becomes a bid for success. Um, Now, yes, within the military, we do have uh, single-channel radio operators. We train and use an HF. um, But I would say it's not as much of a focus as it used to be. Moreover, what can Mars do that our HF radio operators can't? I think this is probably one of the biggest selling points um, with respect to the the disaster piece. Uh, and I'll circle back to the high end piece as well amateur radio operators exist all across the world in places where combat operations may occur as well as where the dod may be called upon to conduct humanitarian assistance or disaster response Um, and that mars operator can provide a simple means to tie that dod component into those folks on the ground because they are so intimately familiar with the amateur radio world and then you can pull that local intelligence that you need to inform planning. History is replete with examples where, and yes, the DOD might have the imagery or the maps, but they're out of date or there are sudden gaps because the disaster makes the imagery no longer useful. But the demand for ISR assets, intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance also becomes overwhelmed. So now perhaps we might be able to send out a handful of contact teams, maybe link up with key leaders at the embassy, but that's still a very small pipe to pull from. But those amateur radio operators are all over the country Uh, they can be leveraged to pull that critical information as far as like hey what does this look like what's the need how bad is it there where can we land this craft how can we push these supplies because those people are going to know their countryside intimately and who knows better how to connect those local amateur radio operators in the disaster zone on the ground with the dod than that mars affiliate that that's a huge asset
0: You describe amateur radio operators as every bit the expert as professional military communicators and signalmen in your article. What do you feel is the missing link here? What do hams need to do? What do ex-military amateur radio operators need to do to change the perception that we are a resource that can be utilized and a resource that can be tapped into? Where do we begin with this?
1: So uh, it's two pieces to that pie, we, got, we need awareness, we need to build that awareness, um, and we also need to uh, normalize that culture by, by utilizing that. So to put that point in perspective, um, I enlisted in the Marine Corps in 2003 as an infantryman, then I commissioned in 2006, and I've been a communications officer ever since. My primary responsibility in my field as a commo uh, has been planning, installing, securing, operating, and maintaining communications architectures. I've done comm planning for divisions, air wings, and logistics groups. We describe that as a major subordinate command. Uh, I've uh, attended numerous advanced comms planning courses, those offered by my service, as well as the the joint uh, version thereof. And the first and the only place that I saw Mars mentioned in my career was in 2018, during a brief by Mars operators who lived on Okinawa, Japan. Uh, Now I am coming at this from a Marine Corps perspective I know there's some awareness of Mars within uh, my service. Uh, I believe 7th Communications Battalion in uh, Okinawa, they, they did some radio checks with the Mars station as recently as 2020, that's a big win. Uh, but I've personally never seen a reference to Mars in any communications plan. Uh, I've never seen a, a radio net utilizing Mars uh, set up in a command center during an exercise or an operation. Uh, so I'd use that as a fair gauge, not to you know pat myself on the back and say, look at all these things I've done and I just didn't hear about it. I use that as a gauge Uh, at least with my own service and likely in many other parts of the dod that there is this blind spot that you mentioned um with regards to mars and what it can offer um so uh how do we build that um something as simple as in these courses you know when we are initially training our communications officers or communications chiefs who are those planners um just let them know about it Uh, i didn't see it in my basic communications officers course i didn't see it in my advanced course i didn't see it at the uh You know the joint c4i courses um, that i've attended uh just people let them know about it say this is what mars is this is where they are uh this is how to connect to them this is what they can offer you and also you need that selling point of what can it do for you with your mission set um as far as redundancy Uh, again some people might be like oh well we've got hf radio operators well yes you do for your tactical communications with other military units um primarily operating via encrypted nets. Um, But what about pulling that local intelligence from the people on the ground? This becomes even more relevant with respect to um, the 2018 national defense strategy, uh, reorienting the DOD toward, uh, you know, peer adversaries such as China or Russia. Uh, And they certainly, those nations certainly have the ability to contest the electromagnetic spectrum they can jam satellites they can bring our networks down Um, so what are you gonna have left in those situations now you may say well hey Mars is mostly domestic or maybe uh, yeah you you threw out a good idea as far as using Mars folks to tie into local amateur radio operators well we have of course I mentioned there's uh, Mars operators in Okinawa because we have US forces there Um, we of course have a region in uh, in Guam once again it's a US territory when we have US forces there um, we can build this capacity as well in other countries uh wherein we have US forces stationed such so in particular in the uh, Pacific AOR such as uh you know South Korea is another great example all around that that zone um and there's so much history with how those uh those communicators support local intelligence even um uh, whether that's service members Uh, utilizing Mars folks or utilizing uh, the locals on their ground, uh, in particular, the coast watchers during World War II. It just happened to be people that were there watching things happening, and they saw, at that time, uh, Imperial Japanese Navy ships doing this, that, or the other thing, You know, getting on the horn and sending that information up. Uh, Again, I could go on and on, but these are incredible uh, examples by which we can employ amateur radio operators, uh, in particular, Mars, we just need to build the awareness uh, and sell it right, and then normalize use, using it. So it can't just be this this exceptional thing that happens, a disaster is occurring. Oh, somebody mentioned this Mars. Who are these Mars guys? They just showed up. Okay, maybe we can work them in somehow. No, make that part of your com plan. Make that part of the Annex K, which is the communications annex to the op board. Make that a normal thing, so that way it's rote, it's normal, uh, and we, we are much more likely to utilize that uh, in the future when those instances arise.
0: Brian, I think you're right. When you look at these volunteer groups and the role that they've played in war zones, in disaster zones, in critical events where infrastructure, uh, from a communication perspective, has been dismantled or interfered with. And even from an operational perspective where you have government interference, when you think back to the first war in Iraq when they had information coming from Kuwait, through ham radio back to uh, operators in europe that allowed for good quality on the ground information and from my perspective we really need to have that information from volunteers and really embrace as you said and support these volunteers because they are critical to our communication network and our infrastructure and have great value because in the day information is king
1: and that point speaks so well to, I guess, the the character and the commitment of the the individuals that are part of these organizations. You know, Aries uh, domestically in the U.S. and Canada, Mars, uh, and just most ham radio operators—they're in the hobby and they affiliate with these organizations. They're volunteering their time because they want to provide a service. They want to do good. Um, and when somebody is willing to offer something of that value for no return, uh, and as you noted, a, a very uh, strategically important example of that, why would we not um, lean into it as heavily as we can, especially when the cost is, you know, it might be some time, but we're spending no, by we, I mean the Department of Defense, we aren't spending money on it. We just need to build a relationship with the people who are clamoring to do something great uh, for for their nation and for, the, for their people.
0: And I think when you look back on, ham radio operators, a lot of us are ex-military, have a military background, continuing that service after retirement I think is critical, an important piece, and uh, looking after radio communications is a service that they can continue offering.
1: Certainly. Um, so most recently, uh, I was working with a, uh, a retired uh, Navy senior chief who was uh, an IT or an information technician, so radio expert. Um, he was a huge uh, ham radio operator. Uh, and in many instances, just in the local area, as a result of, um, you know, hurricane season and things that can occur, uh, his setup, his mobile CP, he just happened to have uh, definitely in, in many instances contributed to local uh, disaster relief uh, efforts. Um, so again, just the guy who's sitting across from me in the cubicle uh, took his uniform off still wearing civilian clothes and, and went on to, again, have that sense of, of mission in a very real way that, uh, that certainly matters.
0: If someone had a military background and just recently got their ham license or had been a ham for a while now, how do you recommend they connect with a ham group that is involved or connected with Mars? Where would they start? Yeah, certainly.
1: So um, as I noted before, the only, uh, the services that still sponsor them are the Air Force and the Army, and each has an individual site. Um, and they are they are civilian auxiliary, so they're not like in a, a formal chain of command, uh, but they they are, you know, hosted that way and associated with certain commands. So if you, you simply Google, uh, you know, Army Mars, um, Army Military Auxiliary Radio uh, Service, um, that site where in the, I believe, the networking command um, that, that, uh, hosts it will appear and it'll have the information to join and participate. And you'll see the regions, uh, how the army divvies it it up same, same for the air force, the U S air force, they have their Mars, uh, auxiliary. Um, you just go to those websites. You'll see where those regions are.
0: You'll see information on how to apply. Uh, and it's, it's just that easy. Brian, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and I hope you can join us again sometime.
1: Certainly. Well, I, I greatly appreciate that feedback. Uh, I'm glad the uh, amateur radio community is uh,
0: interested, and uh, I hope we can uh, build stronger bridges together. You've been listening to Major Brian Kirk. USMC is a Marine Corps officer and writer currently serving as a Fleet Amphibious Communication Officer, U.S. Fleet Force Command. I'm your host, John Bignall, VE1JMB. Remember, in times of crisis and natural disaster, Amateur radio is often used as a means of emergency communication when all other conventional methods of communication have failed. The Last Wire podcast will provide and profile stories of hams who have volunteered their amateur radio knowledge and equipment for communication duty when disaster strikes. If you have a story to share, we want to hear from you. Send us your story at john@lastwire.ca. Until next time, this is Victor Echo One, Juliet Mike Bravo, 73.